0: You can get early access and free downloads to all of these shows. Just go to truthjihad.com and click on the Patreon link. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink, or eat
1: anything. What's are important question? I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think the, the most important, the most compelling, was uh, was 9/11 itself.
0: Welcome to a special Paul McCartney's birthday edition of Truth Jihad Radio, broadcasting live out of an undisclosed location somewhere in the woods of western Wisconsin. I'm Kevin Barrett bringing on great guests, talking about all sorts of things that are far beyond the ken of the corporate-controlled mainstream. Today's second hour, we're bringing on Gideon Palya. He's a science professor from Australia who says that Representative Ilhan Omar should be ashamed of herself for comparing Israel to Hamas. That is, it's a, it's a slur on Hamas. So we'll get into that argument in the second hour. First hour, a completely different argument. It's Paul McCartney's birthday, and Sir Paul McCartney, you are invited to call into this show. Just drop me an email at truthjihad at com and give me a number where we can call you, and you're welcome to argue on behalf of your own existence, because that is the issue here tonight. Is Paul McCartney, who is presumably celebrating his birthday somewhere other than here in the hills of western Wisconsin, Really, Paul McCartney, or is he Fall, a left-handed bass-playing imposter who replaced Paul? That is the thesis of a whole Paul is Dead movement. And one of the most illustrious voices of that movement is on philosophy professor James Fetzer, along with another philosophy professor, Sterling Harwood, who's actually written a book on this. It's called The Greatest Mystery of the Beatles, Critical Thinking on Paul is Dead and the Skeptical Sixties. So let's get into the discussion of Paul is Dead. Hey, uh, welcome, uh, Jim Fetzer and Sterling Harwood. Hey, Jim, how's it going?
2: Oh, delighted to be with you, Kevin. I thought it was ironic. Dick Cheney was saying the highlight of his last eight years was 9-11, since he and Bush were elected to initiate to bring in 9-11 to benefit the Israelis. I mean, it's just outrageous he makes such a statement. He's, bra- it's he's so bragging cow- about it.
0: He's bragging yeah, about it. It was exactly. the highest moment. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah, can't make this stuff up. And Hey, Sterling, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing just fine, Kevin. Thank you for the warm introduction. It's good to be on your show again.
0: Yeah, yeah, good to have you both back. I've actually discussed this issue with both of you in the past, but never together. So this is the uh, the dueling philosophy professor's fascinating uh, concept. And it just <laughs> it just popped into my head today when you sent out that email, Sterling, uh, pointing out that it was Paul McCartney's birthday, that, hey, this would be a great day to do this. And suddenly an opening opened up, and so I think it's by a <laughs> that we're talking about yeah, Paul. Se- he's, yeah, he's
1: 79 years young
0: today, which means he's, Entering his 80th year, if it's the same guy. If it's the same guy, and that is the question. And so let's start with Jim, because Jim, you're a, you argue for the strong version of his thesis that the current uh, alleged Paul is really fall. So uh, just so we know what we're debating, maybe you know, don't don't give it. Don't worry about the evidence. Just tell us what you think most likely happened. Can you summarize that?
2: Well, here heretofore, I thought that Paul McCartney had died in an automobile accident on 9-11 after he and John had had an argument at the studio. he got gone on a ride, and it was raining that he picked up a young woman who was so enthralled to discover herself in a vehicle with Paul McCartney, she threw her arms around him. Paul ran a light, was hit by a truck. She got out, but he was pinned in the car, which caught fire and burned to death. But, since I have done more research now with Richard Balducci, who has a brilliant book about it, I am convinced that Paul McCartney was actually murdered on instructions of the Vatican because John had declared that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. Why didn't they kill John? Because they wanted John to suffer by seeing his dear friend, savagely murdered silver hammer and the instrument appears to have been an mi5 agent by the name of maxwell mcknight who was responsible for the death using the hammer it's a stunning story wait a minute he killed him with a silver hammer yes 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 (laughs) oh no i hadn't heard
0: that one before
2: wow oh Uh, i know i know i And until, you know, I did this recent program with uh, Richard Balducci, neither had I, but I'm convinced he's got it right. It's a truly fascinating development. He has a a book about it, by the way, uh, entitled, let me find it, uh, The Dark Occult, How Their Rituals Rule the World. Paul was targeted to make John suffer, that his suffering and repentance be the greater, it wasn't midnight, but Maxwell Knight, used a silver hammer from the Vatican's own archives. He was killed, therefore, using Maxwell's silver hammer at 5 a.m. on 9-11-1966. It's a stunning story. The hammer was uh, an archive in the Vatican vault known as a war hammer, it has many aspects to it. It actually has three different blades. It's stunning stuff, Kevin, but those are the basics. I believe that Sterling and I both agree that there are many figures out there who are clearly not Paul McCartney. Some of them are obvious fakes. There was one in Norway who was performing who really looked nothing like Paul, but who was – uh you know, making big bucks because others were naive enough to think that perhaps he was. Others raised disturbing questions about their identity. I've done shows in the past, with and Tina Foster, and delighted today to be joined with Sterling. When you look at the faces, though, and the comparisons of Paul and Paul, it's pretty obvious, pretty obvious when you take a closer look. They're not the same, and of course, the Beatles' manager, Brian Epstein, in October, declared that the Beatles were no longer going to go on tour, which is absurd on many, many counts. He's talking about
0: 1966.
2: Yes, October of 1966, that he declared the Beatles would no longer go on tour, which is absurd on multiple counts. Number one, Yeah, well, j- 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 Wait, 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 wait,
0: wait before, before we get into the evidence, okay, let, you've kind of laid out your scenario and so we've moved from the uh, he blew his mind out in a car scenario to the Maxwell Silver Hammer scenario. And to many of my listeners, I'm sure this sounds preposterous um, and perhaps hilarious. However, uh, in in fairness to your thesis, Jim, and I'll turn this over to Sterling to see what he thinks. Uh, it does seem to me that the notion of a random car accident that could be followed by such a brilliant maneuvering to replace you know, this left-handed genius bass player with somebody who looked alike and also played left-handed bass and so on and so forth, uh, that, that idea of a random car crash is, is I think, kind of ridiculous. However, the idea of some sort of occult ritual uh, murder scenario actually makes more sense because, well, there there's evidence that, They do that kind of stuff sometimes. So as ludicrous as your thesis actually may sound to many people, frankly, I think it's less ludicrous than he blew his mind out in a car. Uh, What do you think, Sterling?
1: I think both of you are right that murder is more likely than a road accident because uh, with a road accident, you've got insurance. I'm sure by 1966. The wise guys at EMI realized that they had an insurable property, and they probably insured it, and he was traveling a lot. So they probably insured the man's life and for probably millions of pounds. And, uh, you know, so if he dies in a road accident, you collect the insurance money, ka and then you use the money and all your other resources to hire Eric Clapton and Steve Winwood to join the Beatles, you still have a hell of a band. You've got sympathy sales going through the roof, like they did with Michael Jackson when he passed away suddenly, and you've got the insurance money, and you've got the goodwill of the people, and you don't have any criminal liability. For, exactly example, on some kind of phony show. So, um, and for breaking contracts and stuff uh, by replacement. So, you know, so I, I think uh, you're right that murder is more likely. Uh, the Vatican, you know, you asked whether, why didn't the Pope kill John Lennon? Maybe he did. You know, John Lennon was murdered. That one's clear. And he got the four hollow point bullets in the back. That'll do it pretty much every time. I don't recommend trying that one at home. So, uh, but the guy who killed him uh, looks like it might have been um, a Protestant, not a, a Catholic, a Catholic a southern uh, a Protestant, uh, Mark David Chapman. But some people question even that. They think Stephen King uh, had some sort of strange dialogue with Mark David Chap- Chapman and uh, made some sort of confession in one of the letters. That there's a guy running around in a van in Santa Cruz he has got a website now who argues that Stephen King is the real murderer. Well, I, I doubt
2: that very much, but no doubt uh, Chapman is just as much a patsy in relation to John Lennon as Sirhan Sirhan in relation to Bobby. It appears to be the doorman, Padilla, who shot John Lennon. Chapman was just another prop in one more of these endless scenarios of assassination lamed on Fall Guys, which came to its apotheosis with Lee. Harvey Oswald, who actually was standing in the doorway of the book of depository the when the JFK motorcade passed by. Uh, I and Ole, Domegaard have identified eight different shooters, I six of them by name, rank, and serial number, where they were located, the shots they fired, the effects they had. Ole has identified a seventh, is, with which I agree there's an eighth who turns out to have been on the south, knoll behind a single tree where you wouldn't think possible to be a gunman there. But I've seen photographs in the possession of two different JFK experts of him standing with his rifle. Different photographs, same guy, same location.
0: Okay, well, I think we're all in agreement about the JFK and RFK assassinations being uh, coups. Yeah. Um, but but I don't know if we're fully in agreement about the Paul is Dead thing, which is the topic on Paul's birthday tonight. I'm, I'm not convinced of this one. And I guess, Sterling, you're not really either, judging from your book. Um, but well, there was the re- a lot
1: of evidence. That's right. Uh, there was a lot of evidence early on that Jim actually got me into this seriously. Of course, I had heard about it back in 1969 when the, the Beatles released the Abbey Road album, and then people started finding all these clues. Actually, the first time it was mentioned that Paul may have died in an auto accident was in the 1967, I think it was February issue of the Beatles Monthly magazine, where they denied the rumor that uh, Paul had died in a car accident. So, uh, you know, don't believe anything, uh, Kevin and Jim, until it's denied three times in the press. And (laughs) So if they start denying it, then uh, that to me is kind of evidence that there's something to it because it's serious enough for them to deny but uh so I had heard about it but then Jim actually wanted me to write uh, an article for a chapter in a book uh, called uh and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either and I was happy to do that for Jim so he got me down this road but and as I looked more into it uh what what convinced me initially was that Paul McCartney has green eyes light green eyes in the Fool on the Hill video part of the movie Magical Mystery Tour, which came out on December 24, 1967. So that would have been after the supposed death. And everybody, if you read all the news uh, from when the Beatles hit the fan in uh, February 64, uh, everybody was saying how Paul had beautiful, big brown uh, puppy dog eyes, uh, but how is he having white eyes, you know, green eyes in 1967? And that was before color contact lenses really came on the scene in the 70s, and he would have had no real reason to wear contact. He did wear glasses in the studio sometimes, but I don't see that he would have had any reason to wear color contacts when they were filming it. So so that really got me thinking, well, uh, I guess uh, he did die because, you I got. I found an article. I think it was in the New York Times or actually Wall Street Journal. That it's very, very rare for your eye color to change after the first few months of your life. And uh, I know I have a couple of cousins who had the blue eyes originally and then changed to green or brown. And I had blue eyes when. I was born, and my grandmother said, well, his eyes are going to change, too. But, you know, they never did. <laughs> so I guess I'm the same me, then. I'm not an imposter
0: for myself. You, you haven't been replaced yet. Okay, and, and so I we're, talking been about, we're talking about visual evidence here, so uh, and not vis- visual evidence of you, Sterling, or you, Jim, but rather of, uh, of Paul and Fall. And so before we go further, do either or both of you know of a website where people could go, to look at pictures of these things. Because as we talk about this, it's one thing to talk about eye color or talk about ear shape and things like that. Or say you can say, as you just said, Jim, that there are obvious differences that anybody can see that these aren't the same two people. Well, where's a good website that lines up all of this photo evidence? All right. Oh, go ahead, Jim. Well, Sterling mentions the book. Which
2: begins with sections about uh, moon landing, uh, how we know we didn't go, but then turns to Paul versus Paul. There are very excellent chapters there, including one by Sterling. Then on the the the, the first uh, Saddam Hussein, because the guy who was put on trial. Wait, 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 wait,
0: wait was, Jim. Um, uh, Jim I'm, I'm sorry, but but the the question was was actually from a listener, uh, Danny. Who chatted, chatted us, and, and he would like to actually be able to look at this stuff now while we're talking. Is there anything online? Yeah, yes,
2: yes, yes. Well, there's a, a. I have a blog. Let me uh, let me pull it up. Go ahead and ask Sterling, and I'll pull up the blog and let yeah, give you the I, exact Yeah, I got a
1: data. couple. Yeah, I got a couple of recommendations. One is just plain old Amazon.com, and look up a book called. Uh, the Beatles from A to Z. You know, Z is how the British pronounce Z, the letter Z. So, um, The Beatles A to Z, and that's by Peter Asher. And the cover of that book has a really tall Paul, and he's taller by a couple of inches than John. And John is, you know, standing straight up, and they're on a airport tarmac, which presumably is level ground. And there's a level building. It is a building with a flat roof in the background. So it's a wonderful photograph to compare when you try to get the, um, you know, the uh, the height. That's one of the arguments that uh, Paul was in place because uh, the original Paul is supposedly just about the same height as John, and maybe slightly taller than George. But really, nothing to speak about. And of course, uh, inches taller than Ringo. Uh, but then there was an appearance that uh, Paul made on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. You can go on YouTube and find that and Paul is uh taller or or at least as tall as Johnny Carson, and so if you Google how tall Paul is supposed to be, they say five foot eleven, but the original heights for Paul are shorter than that, like five nine, five, ten. so there's a couple of inches to account for there. Go ahead, Jim. Oh, I just want to add, actually, and this will
2: resonate with Kevin. He and I had a debate about an article published that, of course, he disputed, which I argued was a convenient way to achieve plausible deniability. Why Ringo's confession, we replaced Paul, appears to be authentic, is on my blog at jamesfetzer.org. You're going to find enough photographic evidence there to see exactly what we're talking about, including some scientific studies to which I have yet to allude. But this was about the debate that Kevin and I had and that I have published long since. So if you go to jamesfetzer.org, why Ringo's confession, we replace Paul, appears to be authentic. I think we'll give you what you want. I certainly understand why uh, you don't want to have to go for a book to see it all, but it is interesting that all that information is in the book, where where the title was suggested by my series editor, Mike Balachek. Suitable uh, as a sequel to Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, one might well say in response, yeah, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either meaning it sounds so fantastic. But yes, Paul had a rounder head, a more youthful exuberance than Paul. He had an oblong cranium. Paul has an oblong cranium and a more mature face and expression. Their profiles appear to be surprisingly different, even their ears. We have photographs of both of them with Jane Asher, to whom Paul was engaged. They're about the same height, but Paul towers over her by four inches, I'm uh, creating, by the way, a video version of our show tonight that I'll be putting up so everyone can see exactly all the images to which I refer here and now. I think the photo with Jane Asher is very, very striking because Paul really appears to have been in love with Jane Asher, and clearly the Asher family had to go along with a substitution But the crucial evidence came from these two Italian forensic scientists who set out to falsify the rumors. They thought they could prove that the alleged uh, uh, substitute, the imposter, was actually Paul McCartney, but they wound up falsifying their own conjecture and confirming he had been replaced.
0: Well, Sterling, you uh, were kind of respectful, but you didn't fully uh, buy in. To some of this, so maybe you can tell us why.
1: Well, yeah, I started out uh, down the road uh, thinking that uh, yeah, you don't change eye color, you know, and, and so I was uh, formerly in the camp where Jim is now. But and and there's also uh, voice prints were done by a professor uh, Truby of the University of Miami, and he claimed uh, that the voice prints before 1966 were different than the voice prints. After 1960. And by the way, sir, you're,
0: you're, you're, I'm sorry. Speaking of voice prints, your voice print is going in and out. I don't know if you, are you oh. holding your cell phone at the same so, uh, distance. Uh, okay, I'm not. I'm not on speaker, but can you
1: hear me a little better now?
0: Yeah, that sounds better.
1: Okay, sorry about that. But I was saying there's this is, uh, professor uh, Truby. I think it's Mark Truby, um, and uh, I mentioned him in my book. And he's from the University of Miami, and he did voice print analysis. Uh, before and after 1966, and he found discrepancies. But the problem I have with that and the Italian scientific studies is that they've never been replicated, and that's crucial in science, as Jim Fetzer can tell you better than I am. Philosophy of science is his uh, area of expertise, whereas I just kind of dabble in it professionally. And, uh, you know, they need to replicate those things. And then I hired somebody. I decided to add to the evidence. Because Paul McCartney won't take a DNA test with his brother. They're both still alive and they could raise a lot of money for charity. And, uh, I don't see why they don't do it. Uh, and he d- does uh, give money to charity he's in that landmine charity and he's got some vegetarian charities, I believe. So, you know, if they just take a DNA test between the guy who calls himself Paul McCartney and Mike McGear is how he goes, uh, Michael McCartney originally, uh, his brother. Uh, you know, brother with the same father, so there's going to be in the same mother. So um, there's going to be a genetic uh, telltale sign there, but he doesn't do it. So I commissioned a study by what's called a super recognizer. I was driving, listening to NPR, National Public Radio, one day, and they were talking about super recognizers, that the British were hiring these people who tested very highly uh, in their ability to recognize faces, and they'd show them lots and lots of photos, and they they say, pick out two that are the same person. And uh, they'd sit there for hours and go through hundreds of photos and damn that they didn't uh, have this ability to pick out the same person. Uh, and so uh, these are called super recognizers. It's a thing. Uh, it's a law enforcement technique. And, you know, they have all those uh, video monitors all over London because, you know, after 7-7, they had the terrorist attack. They, they're trying to catch these people, so uh, even more intensely than ever. And so they hire these super recognizers to go through surveillance footage and pick out people who are the same as the people they're looking for, the terrorists or the people that are suspected of terrorism uh, or in the same network or something like that. So, uh, so I hired one of them. You can hire them, and it's not uh, cheap, but I did it. But I only hired one, so there's no replication on my study either. But I'm saving up my couch cushion money, and maybe we can do a crowdsourcing thing, and we can hire another one. But the findings, and she goes through it in very uh, great detail, uh, and I have a second book called um, The Super Recognizer Report. Paul is Dead and the Beatles is the main title, but the subtitle is The Super Recognizer Report. And that's a an ebook of about a little over 50 pages, and that goes through uh, photograph by photograph. Some of them are screenshots. And she details the similarities between the photographs and screenshots after 1966 and before 1966. And she gets down into minute details. So that uh, made me more skeptical of this claim that Paul had died. Um, You'd have to go to a lot of trouble to go, you know, do plastic surgery. Of course, they had years to do it, but she tried to, I gave her photographs before and after 66 that were not too far after uh 1966 so there wouldn't have been that much time to do plastic surgery in the kind of detail and uh so i i put some stock in her opinion but but i would like to get it uh you know i would like to get it replicated uh or uh contradicted if a new super recognizer takes a look at the photographs and or other photographs and screenshots and video then they might find that uh you know, it is a different person, but right now the only one on the board. I added to the evidence on the Paul is dead controversy at uh, my own personal expense, but it's a tax write-off. So, this is, uh, so the
0: super recognizer said that this is the same. This is the same person before and after. 67.
1: Yeah, so that's what got me skeptical of the Paul is dead uh, thing because she, she. You have to read it. You know, it's too long. It's 50 pages long. I can't summarize it, uh, but she goes into the teeth and the ears and the eyes and the, the eyelids, the shape of the eyelids, all sorts of different things, um, and she shows similarity after similarity. And it is possible to get plastic surgery down to that uh, minute detail, but it's just not very likely in the time frame we're talking about. And if you're wondering about using ears for identity, that's a thing. Um, the CIA and before that the OSS, Office of Strategic Services, the forerunner, of the CIA, they use the shape of ears to try to figure out whether a person in a photograph was Ho Chi Minh or not. I have a book from 1968 that talks about the CIA, or actually it was the OSS, that was using photographs of ears of people trying to track down uh, Ho Chi Minh. Yeah. And uh, so it's a thing that people actually use the shape of the ear, and you'd think it'd be easy to change the shape of the ear. Given that it's all cartilage, it's not bone on the outside, So, uh, but apparently it, it's a real thing. It's spy agencies and other, I guess, insurance companies who are trying to figure out whether somebody's uh, alive or dead. Uh, they claim to be dead, and they want the insurance, but they have photographs of the wife hanging out with some guy, and they want to see if it's the husband who's supposedly dead that she's hanging out with. It's a the thing. They look yeah, like we need we name. need to
0: do this to Barbara Olson. Does Ted Olson's wife have Barbara's ears? Yeah. Remember Barbara it, Olson she, on, fl- on flight uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 flight supposedly at the Pan flight 77.
1: Yes, yeah, she supposedly the, the, dead.
0: The answer
2: the answer is going to be yes that they're the same ears. It appears that Barbara went to Europe where she was actually arrested on the border of Austria and Switzerland, I think, for some financial impropriety. Had Cosmetic Surgery returned as Lady Booth to remarry her husband, Ted. It's quite a blatant scam. But, but Kevin, ask yourself, how got a super a super recognizer, and forgive my skepticism, nor an orange difference in height that I've already observed when they're both with Jane Asher, fall towers over Jane, Paul and Jane were the same height. Their ears are different. In fact, Paul is the only one I've ever heard of who's been found wearing a fake earpiece because he's aware of it. And I'm just dumbfounded that Sterling would so casually dismiss the brilliant research of the Italian forensic scientists who discovered that Paul had bad teeth and a narrow palate while Paul has good teeth and a normal palate. There are other signs, in addition, that Paul had cosmetic surgery. But remember, these guys were doing their best to prove they were one and the same, and they wound up falsifying their own hypothesis. If you look at the evidence, and I have their studies right there uh, on uh, org, why uh, Ringo's confession, we replaced followers of authentic, you can see the photographs, actually. Unless you're claiming these photographs aren't of the same guys, you replicate them every time you look at them. I think Sterling has a misunderstanding about the nature of replication, of course. You could go and do a tooth mold, I suppose, of the present Paul if he would allow it. But look, if he won't even allow DNA to be done, it's obvious the reason why they're not going to match. They're going to show they aren't siblings because Paul is not Paul who was, in fact, the brother who of the man who still exists, that would not compute. I mean, it's obvious. I can't believe how Sterling can express his skepticism at the hypothesis of different people when it's been proven on a half a dozen or more basic fundamental parameters of features that are not amenable to change.
0: Well, well let, let's well, talk about the replication issue, Sterling, uh, like, I, I think what, what you meant, Sterling, was that you have a team of experts or a couple of experts who published that thing in Wired magazine in, in its Italian edition uh, doing this forensic uh, evidence uh, overview of why the two Paul McCartneys pre and post-1966 couldn't be the same. So we have those experts who say that. So that's one, uh, two supposed experts who have, have said this, but we haven't had any other experts look at that right. and say that it's correct and right. then a
1: super-recognizer should, should be peer-reviewed peer by other experts not, and those two experts were not one replicating the other, they were working together as a team and it is more sensational, you'll probably sell more magazines and they later put out a book, uh, you're going to sell more magazines and books if you argue that Sir Paul McCartney is a phony, <laughs> than you are the, if you say Paul McCartney is the real deal. So, they have some kind of uh, unconscious, at least, bias towards finding something sensational. And I would just like a peer reviewed, uh, get some more experts. They're not the only experts in the world about palates and stuff, so, and bones and, and the facial structure. There are plenty of other experts like that. And just get, let's get a couple more in there, and then I'll be more convinced. Uh, it is, I do take, I don't dismiss that evidence, I just think it's not conclusive. Because it hasn't been replicated, and the same thing with Truby, I take that seriously too. On these voice prints, but it hasn't been replicated, and that should be that's the next step. I may hire somebody to do. There's spoken word albums before and after 1966, where Paul McCartney. Uh, one of them's called the McCartney Tapes. It's from about 1980 on Columbia Records, it's a two LP set, uh, and I think it's out in D- and CD now. And then uh, there are spoken word records like The Beatles' Story and other interviews that have been captured on audio uh, recordings uh, from 1964 when they were doing the Media Blitz. So all you would have to do is compare the two. And by the way, another website occurred to me. It's uh, uh, You Can Know Sometimes. Uh, that's by Claire Kuhn. Who Jim knows very well. I appeared on Jim's show with Claire uh, one time, and because you can know sometimes might be the full title of her website before you can because you can know sometimes or you can know sometimes dot uh, She's a Canadian and runs the website out of uh, Canada there, and she's got a lot on this uh, stuff, and so uh, I recommend that people check that out. She she believes that Paul was uh, replaced. And the other thing that makes me skeptical about it, you know, I'm sure Jim knows this too. It's just damn hard to find somebody as talented as Paul McCartney. uh, And then they got to play left-handed bass. Uh, Of course, they didn't play that often live. They did play on the rooftop concert. And then when they played on the, in 1968, the rooftop concert was 1969. And then uh, in 1968, they played uh, on the David Frost show, but Paul was playing piano. So, uh, his left-handed bass playing wasn't uh, in evidence there but they did close up of his eyes and they look green to me uh they don't look uh puppy puppy dog brown uh, big brown eyes the way they were described earlier but the the solution to that problem is that i had this uh, album called the beatles story it was released in 1964 at the height of their first wave of popularity and um Uh, It describes them, you know, uh, their eye color and whatnot. And the eye color they give for Paul on that 1964 album, and I have the original uh, album from 1964, not a reissue. Uh, It says his eyes are hazel. And if you look up what hazel eyes mean, it means it can take on different colors depending on the clothing they're wearing and the lighting and the background. And so in the Fool on the Hill thing, they're using higher quality cameras than, you know, just some press conference or something. And and some photographer or some reporter might just casually note that they're brown eyes uh, in the hectic days of Beatlemania in 1964. But then when you do close-ups with actual cameras, colored cameras later um, on the David Frost show and Magical Mystery Tour film, and they're actually close-ups. They get very, very close uh extreme close-ups in the fool on the hill segment on a magical mystery tour film uh they're definitely green eyes and they're lighter green too they're not even dark green so but the background is green too and they're not an extreme close-up there's a background too so i don't know if that makes a difference on the extreme close-ups but uh i think you can explain away the eye color and on the height you can explain that away because look at this uh Book cover for the book, uh, The Beatles from A to Z by Peter Asher. And by the way, Peter Asher and Jane Asher's father was murdered. They died in the wine cellar, apparently, in their home. And uh, apparently it was a murder. I'm, I'm not sure it was investigated as a murder, but it was a sudden death anyway. And uh, But he's got a book out, a color photograph of all four Beatles on the tarmac, flat surface at the airport, and a flat building roof building in the background and paul is just a lot taller and i think that dates from before 1966 and the explanation for why they didn't play why they didn't play after august uh, 1966 at candlestick and they didn't go on tour is that they were getting all those death threats and Klansmen in uniform in tennessee um you know saying that they knew exactly what to do to the beatles and you know it was very uncomfortable and they got beat up in the Philippines sure. at the airport, you know, uh, and somebody snipped uh, a lock of hair off of Ringo when they were trying to move from one place to another. So it was very unpleasant, and they were making plenty of money. They didn't – they wanted to take a break. They'd been touring and going to Hamburg and everything for years. And so um, they, they needed a break, and the John, they needed the John Lennon, bigger than Jesus Christ, remark to blow over.
0: Okay, so, I so that. Go ahead, Jim.
1: If
2: I attack Sterling, I'm obviously not attacking a straw man. He's both a Ph.D. in philosophy. He's a J.D. He he has done a huge amount of research, but his arguments are basically silly and subjective and apologetic. This thing about the height, does he not know photographs can be Photoshopped? I'm looking at the fetals with Ed Sullivan. They're all virtually the same height. And yet when we get to Sergeant only a man on the cover, Paul is clearly taller. And, of course, they're introducing the one and only Billy Shears. Why in God's name would they be doing that if they hadn't just buried Paul, which is what we have on the cover? You have a funeral, of grave for a left-handed uh, bass player. You have Madden Tussaud's walks Waxworks to represent the old Beatles, and now you have the new incarnation of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band on the cover of the Abbey Road album, according to Ringo. There was a hidden message symbolized in a funeral procession where John, dressed in white, was the clergyman, Ringo in black, the undertaker, George in denim jeans and shirt, the gravedigger, and Paul, barefooted, out of step with the other members, uh, symbolizing the corpse. There are numerous cases, including in Magic Mystery, where Paul takes off his shoes so the difference in height won't be so noticeable. I'm sorry to suggest that. Erling is much too gullible, and this idea of super recognizers is just massively subjective. There are perfectly objective ways of superimposing images. I have a colleague who is an expert in the area, Larry Rivera, and if, if, you, if, if the photographs are taken from the same angle, the same perspective, if you overlay them so that the pupils match, in other words, you establish the interpupillary distance to be the same, then if they are the same person, all the features will fall into place. He has done this in several stunning instances, including confirming our view that the man in the doorway was indeed Lee Harvey Oswald, based upon the physical characteristics of the height, the weight, the build, but also the shirt and the T-shirt he was wearing, which were indistinguishable, from the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, and the T-shirt that Lee was wearing when he was arrested. But Larry was find suitable photographs for both Lee and for the Billy Lovelady, whom the government claims was the man in the doorway, where Billy himself thought it was absurd they'd be confused because he was two to three inches shorter and 15 to 20, probably 30 or more pounds heavier. And when Larry did the superposition... Voila, all the features of Lee Oswald came right into place, and all of those of Billy Lovelady not. A more stunning case relates to Sandy Hook, where I sent him the photograph of the little boy whose death certificate I was sued over, uh, and a photograph of his older stepbrother, because one of my colleagues, Kelly Watt, had said they looked strikingly similar to her, and she showed it to friends who said, oh, yeah, they're the same person all grown up. So I sent to Larry without telling him anything. He didn't know the identity, the context, nothing about Sandy Hook. He did a superposition where you can see Noah Posner turn into Michael Vabner. It's the same nose, the same eyes, the same eyebrows, the same mouth, the same shape of skull, same ears. It's absolutely stunning. So how they picked a lot of the kids, not all, using photographs, well, of older kids when they were younger, Mona Alexis Presley has done great work on this, on Las Vegas and other cases, has also found reason to believe in some cases that Sandy Hook parents use photographs of themselves as children to be the deceased kids at Sandy Hook. And, of course, they, they, they benefited immensely financially. Something you're missing about stopping to do the tours, they're huge money-making propositions. Having all those screaming teenagers turned out en masse at these huge arenas was a vast moneymaker. Sterling, it seems to me, finds it very convenient to talk about reasons why they stopped touring, but I think, frankly, they're ludicrous. We had, by the way, an interesting interval where it looked as though the caretaker of Paul's childhood home looked a lot like Paul. He does look a lot like Paul in certain of these photographs, but he's not Paul, And it's also very clear, and I can't believe how Sterling would continue to deny it, that Paul is obviously not Paul. When they have different teeth and different palates, different shape and size of skulls and different heights, how could they possibly be the same guy? I'm sorry to say I think Sterling's... Position here is completely indefensible.
0: Well, well, sorry. uh, Actually, I I don't think it's that indefensible, Jim, in that I I have the same issue. When I I look at these pictures, I'm not not a super recognizer, but I can't can't see these things that you see in these pictures on the various cases. So I I would like to see experts redo what the Wired Magazine guys did. Um, And uh, Sterling, I I guess you. Yeah, go ahead. Can I defend it? Yes.
1: Here's the defense. The two photographs of Jane Asher and Paul McCartney, uh, they're cut off. You can't see the feet and part of the leg. You can't see them. And on the Sgt. Pepper album cover, you can't see the feet of the tall Paul. If you go to the DECA audition photos, Paul is in the back on the right, and he's taller than the other ones. And that was uh, January 1st, 1962, and those photos have been around for years. They haven't been – photoshopped you'd be able to tell if they had been photoshopped because the originals are still around and if you look at that uh photograph and you know it could be photoshopped but if you get more and more of these things uh it just makes it less likely that they've gone to the trouble of photoshopping all these things the reason why the they gave up the lucrative um touring is that it became physically dangerous they got beat up at the manila airport because they supposedly snubbed uh, marcos's wife and by not going to dinner with her at the, her invitation, and then they got the uh, Ringo got snipped. So somebody took out a pair of scissors and snipped off part of his hair as they were running. You know, you're not, you're not supposed to run with scissors. That's like one of Aristotle's first principles, Jim. You're not supposed to run with scissors. And when somebody else is running with scissors at you and snipping off your hair, I think that violates what Plato said too. So uh, it was physically dangerous. The, the Jesus remark that they were bigger than Jesus had Klansmen and all sorts of nuts, and Mark David Chapman seems to have caught up with him. He, he didn't like that remark, and he put four hollow-point bullets right into John Lennon's back, or if it was the doorman, who knows what his motivation was. Maybe he was with the Vatican. But, uh, you know, it was physically dangerous for these people. So they just, and they'd been touring for years in a very exhausting schedule all around the world in Hamburg, Germany, and uh, Holland, and all sorts of Australia and Japan, live at Budokan. So uh, they needed a break anyway, and they were making plenty of money with songwriting royalties, at least uh, John and Paul were. And uh, so they decided to take a break. And then when Epstein died, they never really got it back together. Uh, financially, you know, not even with Alan Klein did they really get it back together. So, uh, but they made a few appearances live uh, and it's just, you know, how are they going to come up with a songwriter to replace Paul McCartney, who's anywhere near that good? The guy was a genius. So if you listen to those last songs that he wrote, like Here, There and Everywhere and For No One, I mean, those are just absolute classics and they weren't even singles or anything, but they're just absolutely marvelous songs and, of course, yesterday in 1965, those were all done before the supposed death. And then how are you going to replace somebody like that who can write a Mother Nature's Son or, you know, Helter Skelter or all these other, for, you know, Let It Be and uh, The Long and Winding Road? How are you going to get somebody that, like that? They're not – they don't grow on is, trees.
2: My opinion is that the guy they replaced him with, who appears to have been William Shepard, known as Billy Shears as a nickname, he was a session musician. He was known as the man of a thousand voices. He could imitate any sound. Is an even better musician. He took the Beatles in whole new directions. Sgt. Pepper's album by itself being an example, but many others thereafter. Look at the White Album, for example. My opinion is that the successor to Paul was an even better musician, more creative, more diverse, and, of course, after the band broke up, and I think John just couldn't handle any longer the fact that Paul was a better musician than Paul, and that John wasn't really in the same league. He went ahead to create wings and did a whole host of other issues. Linda Eastman, by the way, when he first walked up and said hi, I know you're not Paul. When did you join the band? And I believe that her candor was endearing to Paul and they of course fell in love just as Paul had been in love with Jane Asher. Paul was in love with Linda Eastman and they would marry and have kids and it's really a fascinating story. So why didn't Jane story. Asher
1: complain? I'm sorry Paul. It's oh, gonna be oh, an unlikely it story. Was... It's an unlikely story that you're gonna get somebody as talented or more talented than Paul McCartney. Uh, within a few months, it's just not possible this is, this, in any this, kind of likely scenario.
2: This is just silly beyond belief, Sterling. They even had a Paul Lookalike contest, and this guy was uh, a very strong lookalike. But they sent him yeah, down. And he to happens ask
1: to be able to write. Let plastic uh,
2: surgery to make him look more similar. Uh, uh, bear in mind, we have a whole book by Billy Shears. It's called The Memoirs of Billy Shears. And I anyone to read that and not recognize its authenticity. This is the guy who gave up his life to become Paul McCartney, and he acknowledges very early on that legal obligation meant he was not allowed to reveal the truth about it. But the fact of the matter is that he was an even better musician. We're not even getting into all the brilliant work that Richard Balducci has done about the death of Paul McCartney by uh, by this uh, Maxwell fellow of MI5 carrying out the Pope's desire, Maxwell Knight, he was an analogous, a guy a lot uh, similar to James Bond, but he appears to have murdered uh, uh, Paul in a ritualistic ceremony by striking him with his silver hammer, it's really a brutal device, three times. There's a story, by the way, about the use of the hammer in the past that Richard Balducci tells very convincingly where it was used to murder. So now he hit him the first time and says, are you dead yet? And he hit him the second time and says, are you dead yet? Then he hit him the third time and says, have you dead yet? Where Richard even has photographs of the shattered skull of Paul McCartney. And I tell you, you better have a strong stomach, because his head was really broken to pieces by the silver hammer. So
0: wait, where, where are those
2: where, photographs? I, I, pardon me?
0: Where are those photographs?
2: Oh, well, you'll see it, Kevin. You'll see it when when you see the vidic- the the vid- visual version I'm creating here because I've got it right now on the screen. And we're what? Richard discovered not... there's a, a there's a little dent in the uh, in the in the in the skull there, uh, a, a notch. And it turns out when you compare it with a hammer, uh, the notch was created by the hammer, which had this little notch in it. I mean, this is absolutely unbelievable work. I'm very very pleased by what Richard Balducci has
1: done. Serious, yeah, well, I'm not a Catholic. Uh, I'm not a Catholic, Jim, but I think the official story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but the official story is that the silver hammer is used to, to lightly tap the pope uh, before they declare he's dead, and the white smoke goes through the chimney um, in St. Peter's, and that's the signal that the pope has died and, and some new pope has I, been. Uh, appointed.
2: Not to, not to mention that we have a sketch by John Lennon showing Paul's head shattered. Where in the world did that come from? Does Sterling think they just drew that up to promote, uh, you know, uh, some fantasy of his? I'm, I'm really well, shocked. It's, I, defy, it's I, defy anyone, I defy anyone to go to my website and look at the work of the Italian forensic scientist and not find it conclusive, in my opinion. It it blows the whole story away. Uh,
1: Richard's
2: book, The Dark Occult, How the Rituals Ruled Our World, I think he has done the definitive work on the death of Paul
1: McCartney. Yeah, the drawing, Jim, is not signed by John Lennon. Uh, It was supposed to be sold at Sotheby's or some auction house, but I never heard that it was ever authenticated and the sale was final. So please let us in. On that, And it, it doesn't show Martha, the sheepdog. It shows some kind of like a husky or a Samoyed, And it's just a slab, and the guy has some kind of dunce cap or crack in his skull with something oozing out. But he's standing up, so it's a little weird for him to have stuff coming up out of his head against gravity. So it's highly subjective. You, you get after me for subjectivity, but that's a highly subjective thing. It's just a drawing. It's unsigned. It's unauthenticated by Sotheby's or anybody that I'm aware of. Uh, Claire Coon uh, certainly plays that up and relies on that heavily, but I think that's too flimsy. I think uh, it's much more oh, likely. Seven, that, you know, it's not that you're going to find somebody who can write "Let It Be" in a few months, oh. or somebody who could write the, some of the "Sergeant Pepper." Songs. Although so these guys wrote some of those songs. Let
2: me just make an obvious philosophical point: The things that are actual implies they're possible. It actually did happen. They're not the same. So well, now part. you're begging the question
1: at issue, Jim. You're begging the question. But it was
2: so talented, and your arguments are just uh, sophistry. Well, <laughs> you're just you're really just characterizing I'm my really,
1: arguments. They, not, they, you're not you're not rebutting they my arguments. More. Look, you're begging yeah, the, you're I begging the, it, question the, it, question it, for, the question for, at issue. The question at issue is whether it is actual. You're, you're, you're assuming it's, it's actual, actual, but that's the question. The you're point not, is, you're just characterizing. What you get at a least rip- rebutting
2: reality, the scientific evidence? These are two different people. It follows well, that he had the you ability. You
1: Rep- have to replicate what?
2: scientific evidence. Look, at the Look, this guy won't even let his DNA be tested against his brother, Starling. Well, I you agree to
1: that, that is suspicious. Under so that. He might term. like the mystique. Maybe he likes the what mystique. I don't know why he's yeah, not doing that. You're excusing, excusing, excusing. You, no, I, I agree. It oh, is, it is you're, you're, suspicious. You're, your
2: approach is methodologically flawed in a fundamental way. You're looking for all the confirmations. You should be looking for all the falsifications. As a great British philosophers are called Popper Ta- taught us all. If you want to test whether a theory or hypothesis is true, try to falsify it. If you're unable to falsify it, then maybe it's true. But you Well know,
1: I got not the super to that's a start. The idea I explained the idea, that
2: the same guy has been falsified repeatedly again and again and again.
1: You know, in Japan always well, arrested the photographs you're relying on don't show the feet. And, and the people but have not I, been able to replicate it with true beings. I, mean, I well, take that well, evidence seriously. Evidence seriously evidence but I don't dismiss it. It, it hasn't been replicated. It hasn't if been they're replicated.
2: They're the same height, then you're resorting to a level of juvenility that well, I wouldn't expect. Well,
1: you know, you know, stars, you know big, big stars who are millionaires and billionaires, they often will wear lifts and they'll wear boots that make them look taller. You know, that's been known to happen over and over again. So don't be naive that he can't be wearing boots or lifts. You are. So you can fluff your hair. For all you the fluff hair. There's a, a study of about him for
2: about the same height. Sterling, I, I find some of your arguments well, are why simply Why don't you look at
1: the DECA? Look at the Decca sessions and look at the Decca sessions and Paul is taller. Paul is taller in the DECA session. Black and white photographs. He's over on the right. He's in the back. Because he's in the back, he should appear smaller, but he appears taller. In the DECA session, January 1st, 1962, black and white studio photographs. There are two of them in which he appears clearly taller than John and the others. This this is just ludicrous because
2: there's such a mountain of evidence that disproves what you're claiming here, Sterling. There's a mountain
1: of evidence that includes pictures with no
2: feet. with, With Ed Sullivan, they're exactly the... Almost exactly the same height, John, George, and Paul. Ringo, slightly
0: shorter. Well, I'll, I'll
1: look at it in but <laughs> i show you're the feet. Doing okay, the okay. Well, I I I think think
0: we've just about hit the end of the, the end show, back. guys. We
1: have three, three
0: minutes. I'm, I'm uh, actually, no, we have, we have three seconds about because we're at the at the point where the bumper music should be playing. Bye-bye. So thank you so much.
1: Thank
0: you. Thank you. Two conflicting expert opinions on this burning question on Paul McCartney's birthday. Is it really Paul or is it fall? Uh, Jim Fetzer and Sterling Harwood. Uh, thank you both. Kevin Barrett here. Truth Jihad Radio. TruthJihad.com is the website. Back in the next hour with Gideon Paglia.